we're starting this series called uh, Investigating Jesus. But we're going to begin with this question, what are you doing here? Because that's really the question we're going to ask about, why did Jesus come in the first place? And this is a question that can kind of be positive or negative. Uh, one time, my daughters, my oldest two, uh, Amaris and Mallory, uh, both played JV basketball on the same team at Campbellsville University in Campbellsville, Kentucky, and at the time, I lived in Michigan, and on my birthday, the day of my birth, uh, they played a basketball game um, at Campbellsville, and so I drove the seven or eight hours, I can't remember how long it was, uh, down to Campbellsville, and uh, they didn't know I was coming, and so uh, they were in the locker room, and I waited outside uh, so that when they came out, they saw me, and it was a wonderful event because it was like, hey, Daddy, what are you doing here? And that's a great question to ask. And I, I felt like, uh, you know, the birthday, it was a great birthday for me because I, um, I, I got to experience that, hey, what are you doing here? Um, one time I was working on the septic tank and Miriam was having a, a wedding shower. Uh, and um, I got a, what are you doing here? But it was different, uh, completely different. Uh, what were we doing here? So we're going to look at this idea of uh, Jesus made these claims. So next week we're going to look at, did Jesus really rise from the dead? He said stuff like, the Father and I are the same. And he said stuff like, um, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to come back in three days. And these are really important to understand as far as our faith goes, if those things are true. So this week we're going to talk about um, why did Jesus come in the first place? Next week we're going to talk about Jesus really rise from the dead. So we're kind of investigating Jesus, and today is Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday right before Easter, and it's sort of this, um, it's kind of this uh, launching of the last week of Jesus' life. And so if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they spend an inordinate amount of time on this last week of Jesus' life. So you'll not find a lot about Jesus' birth. There's a little bit in Matthew, there's a little bit in Luke, but nothing in John, um, nothing in Mark. And so you see his life, but then that last week kind of builds this crescendo. And Jesus enters Jerusalem, and the reason he's there, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but he enters Jerusalem to much fanfare. And so we, we all know that um, certain symbols have certain meanings, and so like... Um, you know, like an eagle, uh, it represents power and it, it's kind of elegant and a dove is the bird of peace, you know, that kind of thing. And, and a gamecock is uh, illegal gambling, you know, uh, stuff like that. Uh, so um, <laughs> I didn't really want to put that in, but the Lord made me. Uh, so I just, I don't know what I can do. A red rose, you know, symbolizes love. A white rose symbolizes um, purity. Uh, an oak leaf, you know, it's power. And the palm branch is this, this symbol of, um, it's a symbol of victory. Uh, so people would go off to war, and the, the, the date palm is the palm branch they would use. And uh, when 
armies went off to war, if they were victorious, they would come back and they would have parades, and kind of like a parade, and the parades, they would wave these palm branches, and, and this was sort of the idea around, around uh, Jesus' entering Jerusalem. Now, he makes these ostentatious claims, and sometimes you have to investigate And so what we're doing in this series is we're investigating some of the things that he said. So if you go to the doctor and your doctor says, some things need further investigation. If your doctor says, well, you have a severely inflamed medulla oblongata, we need to take that out, you're going to want to investigate. Because six of you know what that is. Uh, It's like part of your brain, isn't it? Uh, Is that right? Okay, so you probably don't want to take that out. You'd like a second opinion on that. And and so you go to your Aunt Myrtle's house. Uh, I had an Aunt Myrtle. She was great. She was a kook. Uh, And so you go to Aunt Myrtle's house, and and there is a plate of cookies. Well, they look like chocolate chips, but they might might be those uh, devilish uh, uh, oatmeal raisin. And you don't want that. And so you have to sometimes investigate further. We had a, a couple at our church. Uh, my first, very first pastor was in uh, Bergen, uh, Kentucky. It's a little bitty town. It's got one flashing red light. That is the whole town, you know, so it's really small. And I had this really lovely couple in our church, and he was a deacon, and um, they had bought a cruise that they couldn't go on. And so they said, we'll, we'll sell you our cruise for half price or something. It's like, yeah. So I'm a young pastor. I don't have much money. I have a, you know, a, a young wife. I, I think at the time we had maybe just two kids, maybe three. I don't remember exactly. But uh, they come along so quickly. Uh, but only two or three at the time. And, and so we take our oldest two with us, and we drive to Fort Lauderdale or wherever we were supposed to catch the boat. And... This was, this was an offer that seemed too good to be true, a cruise for half price. And we didn't investigate, I mean, maybe we should have. Because when we got there, the, the ship's name was the SS Minnow. That's bad. That's a bad sign. And then we got on the, uh, on the, uh, on the ship, and, and the, um, the, the, uh, <laughs> the one pool that they had was the size of this table. Uh, so we got off, and sometimes things aren't what they seem. And Jesus makes these claims. But sometimes the offer is better than you think. And so a few weeks ago, uh, we went to Salt Lake City, and I had rented a couple of SUVs, um, and uh, the, uh, the company is Fox, which is really kind of a cool company, Fox Rental Cars. And um, so when you rent a car, you all know this probably if you've ever done this, they'll, they'll give you a general idea of the size. So they don't tell you what car you're actually renting, but you're renting a, you know, a small car. So I rented two small SUVs. And they don't tell you what exactly you're getting. So they'll say it's like a a Kia Soul or a Jeep Compass. And you kind of, in your mind, know, okay, I know what size that is. So our plane is delayed. We land late. So it's, I think, 1130 Mountain Time, which is 130 hour time or something like that. It was really whatever time it was. We got there a half hour before they close. Do you know what happens to people a half hour before they close? They don't care. Uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, I will just, if they give me, you know, if they give me too many Coopers, I mean, you're going to have to take what you take. And, and so I get to the desk. The guy is great. I tell him what we're there for. He said, oh, these won't, what you've rented won't do. I'm going to upgrade you for free to Toyota 4Runners. Oh, <laughs> 
Like, okay. You know, it's like, all right, we'll take them. Uh, It was awesome. And so sometimes you get more than you bargained for. And so Jesus makes these, these claims. And honestly, you get more than you bargained for. And, and I love Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday, I'm going to make a, try to make an, a, a, an illustration here. Quick survey. How many of you know what the most popular sport on the planet is? Football. That's right. F-U-T. Football. Uh, the real football. This football. Yeah. Football. The real football. I say that as a guy from Kentucky and never played soccer. Uh, but I was on a plane, the plane back from Salt Lake City. Uh, the guy sitting next to me was a Nigerian dude. He was super nice. His name was Ruben. And I said, what's your sport in Nigeria? And it's football. It, it, everywhere is football. I've been to Brazil, best sport, most popular sport, football. I've been to Tanzania, most popular sport, football. I've been to Poland, most popular sport, uh, football. I've been to uh, Russia, most popular sport, football. Uh, Wherever you go, almost everywhere other than America, it's the most popular sport. I like it for a couple of reasons. Now, I like to watch my daughters play. Elise is playing right now. It's the season of soccer, and so I like to watch her. Um, She's she's athletic, not super skilled. That's kind of a... In soccer, you can get away with some stuff with that unless you go to a higher level. And so the other day she scored her first goal as varsity player, which was awesome. And, and so I, I like watching it when your kids are playing. But occasionally I watch a match on television. Um, if it's international, like FIFA is the, like the World Cup, is a big deal. I like watching soccer because you don't really have to watch. And this is what I mean. All right, so it's on. Okay, it's on. And I can work on my computer and do something. I can look at my phone, whatever. And if something big's about to happen, the crowd will, they'll get into a crescendo. And they'll start to yell, and you can kind of, and so then you can look up. You don't miss anything because everything takes forever to happen. And so few things actually make any difference that they show it over and over and over again. I love soccer because you never miss anything. Well, Palm Sunday is sort of the soccer match before the big event, there's a crescendo. And, and it happens on Sunday. And then a few days later, there's, there's the crucifixion. It's kind of, it's crazy to think about. Jesus enters Jerusalem with much fanfare. And five days later, he's executed. It's really kind of amazing. But that's not the end of the story. And so the resurrection happens the next Sunday, and this, this crescendo, there's a, the play is about to happen. The pass is being made. Something like crucifixion is going to happen, but then is the resurrection, and that is what happens for Easter. And so when we ask the question, why did Jesus come in the first place? There's this backstory to even why Jesus was in Jerusalem when he entered on Palm Sunday. So let's kind of go to the backstory, okay? Um, Jesus has a friend. His name is Lazarus. Lazarus, he finds out, is sick. Lazarus lives in a town called Bethany, and from Bethany to Jerusalem is only a couple of miles. Kind of think Greer to Taylor's kind of a deal, so pretty close. And Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. And when he did hear that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Didn't kind of come right away. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to see Lazarus in Judea. 
But Rabbi, they said, this is the most reasonable question you'll ever hear. But Rabbi, he, they said, a short time ago, the Jews there tried to stone you to death, uh, and yet we're going to go back? I think that's a really good question. <laughs> Dude, they almost killed you last time you were there. Are you sure you want to go back to that? It's a great question. Now, there's a guy named Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus says, look, we have to go back. Our friend Lazarus is sick. We're going to go take care of him. And Thomas, we're going to talk about Thomas a little bit today. Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. Now, he, he's become known as Doubting Thomas, but honestly, he's kind of daring Thomas. It's like, it's a pretty bold thing to say. He, he's, he's like, okay, well, um, I guess if, if we die, we die, and we're going to go with him, and we're going to do that. And, and Jesus came on earth for a purpose, and kind of the last leg of his mission was, it begins on Palm Sunday. And there are several reasons Jesus came. I'm going to give you the two I think are the most important. One is he came to make God known. Think about this. In the Old Testament, if you're a, a scholar at all, or even if you're not, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to notice that God is present, but he's not close often. So you have Moses, and Moses is a shepherd, and he goes on a mountain, and there's a burning bush, and he encounters God, but he's not close. I mean, it's not like he hangs out at the burning bush. He has the, a moment, and then he, he doesn't have a moment, and, and then Moses goes on Mount Sinai, and he receives the Ten Commandments, and he communes with God, but that doesn't last. And over and over in the Old Testament, you're going to see that God is he's always present, but he's not close. And so Jesus comes and he says things like, the Father and I are one, and it's to show us who God is because we get this notion about God that may not be true. In fact, most of us hide from God. And we got it from our forefathers. Uh, back in Genesis, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. They had sinned, by the way. Uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. And I was thinking, when do you hide? Well, well you hide at a surprise party. You hide and hide and go seek, and you hide because you're scared. And most of, of the commandments that God gives us he speaks the truth in love. Most of the commandments he gives us are asking us to be, to have self-denial, to not do what we think we want to do. So think of stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Is simply saying, you see something, don't take it. Have enough self-control not to take it. Same thing with adultery. Have enough control not to take it. Uh, don't take the Lord's uh, name in vain. Have enough control, have enough self-control to not say the things that come into your mind. Right? Uh, thou shalt not murder. Have enough control, even when you're angry, to not do what you want to do. And so the Garden of Eden, this is an amazing place, and God says to Adam and Eve, everything you have, everything in the Garden is yours except this one thing. <laughs> Everything is yours, but this one thing. 
And they gravitated to the one thing. But guys, if you and your wife go to the, the showroom at the car lot and she says, any car is yours except this one car, which car are you going to want? Because you're crazy, that's how we are. Ladies, if your husband takes you to the jewelry store, and maybe you want cars, I don't, I don't mean to stereotype. But anyway, let's go with jewelry store. You go to the jewelry store, and your husband says, you can have everything in here. And By the way, that's never going to happen. Uh, you can have everything in here except in this one showcase. You're going to look over here, but you know what you're going to be doing? Because we have this tendency to want what we can't have. There's a spiritual discipline called fasting. <laughs> That's where you go without food. It's to teach you that you don't have to respond to every impulse that you have. I mean, if we were honest with one another, when's the last time you were really hungry? I mean, just really. Anyway, I don't want you, this is rhetorical. This is where you don't talk. Uh, I just want you to think about it. Because if you're not fasting... Look, man, I, I'm tell you this, I have access to food 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, right now, if I'm hungry and I get really tired of you, uh, I can go out. I've got food in the cupboard. Uh, I got stuff in there. I got some nuts. I got some cereal. Uh, I can, I, I'm hardly ever hungry. And fasting teaches us, okay, sometimes you need to learn to say no to yourself, and so Adam and Eve, they sin and they hide, and we've been hiding ever since. And so Jesus shows up, and he basically says, you don't have to be afraid of God. I'm going to speak the truth in love to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm never going to stop loving you. And here's the thing about truth and love. You have to be willing to accept the truth when it's spoken to you in love. And we don't always like that. I mean, if I'm driving and Miriam says to me, you're going too fast, she might be speaking the truth. And I know she's speaking in love. I don't have to take it because she's not the boss of me. Uh, you know, that's how kind of works, right? She's just not the boss of me. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for the end. I mean, it's the last week of his life. And he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because our hearts are often troubled. All right, I'm going to let you talk now. So shout out. Um, I looked at something called the American Fear Index. The American Fear Index. Uh, shout out what you think are the top, any of the top ten fears of Americans. Anybody? Spiders. Right. Oh, I don't know. I don't know here. Spiders is not right, but everything. All right, let me show you. Loved ones dying. Loved ones becoming ill, mass shootings, not having enough money, terrorism, government corruption. Why would you worry about that? Uh, becoming terminally ill, being alone, dying alone, high medical bills, losing your cell phone. Uh, really kind of funny. Yet Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now he's more talking about spiritual aspects of that. Don't let your heart be troubled. Um, Something like that is said, that or something like it is said 365 times in Scripture. And that's really interesting to me. Like there's a promise for every day of the year to not let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. God says it over and over and over. 
and we hide and we're scared and we just really don't have to. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So the next thing he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he says, when everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way I'm going. (laughs) And Thomas, who I love because he just says the truth, says, no, we don't. It's great. It's great. Jesus is like, um, uh, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Now, we have the blessing of looking at this from uh, in hindsight. We, we knew what Jesus meant. Jesus was talking about, I'm going to establish an earthly kingdom. Uh, I'm going to establish a heavenly kingdom. And I'm going to come and take you to be with me and that kind of thing. Well, if I'm a disciple in the first century following Jesus, and he says, I'm going to prepare a place, I'm thinking, I think logically, that what he's saying is, okay, well, we thought he was going to establish a kingdom in Jerusalem because that's Israel, but maybe he's going to establish a kingdom in Phoenicia or in, you know, someplace else, in some other region. So when Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, it's because he didn't know where they were going. And then he goes on, we have no idea where you're going. We don't even know what you're talking about. And sometimes I read scripture and I'm like, I don't think I know what that means. That's why I like Thomas. It's like, dude, we don't know. And then Jesus offers the most profound, powerful statement ever given to mankind. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus makes this statement And since Eden, we've been trying to figure out how to win God's favor. Because we sin, and then we feel bad about it, and we're afraid. I heard about a guy, he was visiting a therapist. He was afraid that something was under his bed. And so he would tell his therapist, I'm afraid of what's under my bed. And the therapist would give him you know, mechanisms and, and, and kind of practices to help him with this fear and for months, he went to this one therapist and just had no results. Every time he would come back, he's like, I'm still afraid there's something under my bed. And eventually, he stopped going to that guy. And he sees him at Walmart at the grocery store. Uh, and the guy goes, how are you doing? He goes, man, uh, I am cured of my fear. I went to another therapist. I mean, I'm sorry for you, but uh, my other therapist, he cured me in one session. And the guy's like, well, Really? He said, yeah, he told me to take the legs off my bed. Uh, And so it alleviated the fear. Sometimes you just need common sense stuff. And Jesus is like, listen, it's kind of funny. Uh, I mean, it's not a ha, 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 but it's kind of funny. Jesus does this stuff where he says, look, God is for you. You don't have to be afraid of him. And then you, you see things like this in Scripture all the time. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus here. What did he come to do? Well, number one, Jesus came to show us God's love. It's truth and love. It's not always, you know, you can just do anything you want to. 
Our friend last week called that greasy grace. I think that's really a great way. It's like saying, okay, well, if, if God is all about grace, then I can do anything I want to. No. He often challenges us to self-denial. In fact, Jesus said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. He is going to challenge us. But it's for our own good. And so the first thing Jesus came to do was to show us who God is. He is a God of mercy and love, and he's for us. And then the second thing Jesus came to do, he came to seek and to save the lost. One of my favorite preacher stories is about a pastor, and this family comes to church, and they visit, and, and so uh, he, makes, he got, got their information. We're going to ask for that in a minute. Uh, and he calls them. And he calls the family, and this little voice answers the phone. Hello. And the pastor says, hello, who is this? It's Jimmy. It's like, well, Jimmy, how old are you? I'm four. All right, Jimmy, well, can, can I speak to your dad? No, he's busy. Okay, well, can I speak to your mom? No, she's busy. Was there anybody else at the house? The police are here. Well, can I speak to one of the police officers? No, they're busy. Was anybody else there? The firemen are here. Oh, okay. Well, can I speak to one of them? No, they're busy. Like, what are they busy doing, Jimmy? They're looking for me. Okay, so you have Jesus, and he goes to a town called... Jericho, which is also known, by the way, as the City of Palms. And if you look at Luke 18 and 19, this kind of series of things happens. He encounters a blind guy, and he heals him. Um, he uh, uh, has an interaction with a guy named Zacchaeus. We're going to talk about that in a second. He tells a parable. Uh, he enters Jerusalem. And somewhere in there, he encountered um, somebody that told him about Lazarus, I think. And he comes to Lazarus and he says, oh, I should go back, sorry. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And uh, it's, it's kind of weird for us to hear Jesus call himself the Son of Man. There's a reason for this. Uh, it's this magnificent phraseology. Um, the Son of Man means he's identifying with his humanity, so it's humble. But the Son of Man is a term that was coined in Daniel, the Old Testament, chapter 7, and it has do with uh, the coming Messiah. And so Jesus, in coining this phrase or in adapting this phrase, is saying uh, basically it, he's hearkening to his humility, his humanity, but also to his divinity. He's saying, I'm, I am both at one time. And again, let's go back to the hiding part. We all have this mechanism in our minds. It's called fight or flight. So I'm going I'm to kind of give you an illustration. It's going to be really hard to explain because none of you have ever experienced this. But you're driving, and all of a sudden, there are lights behind you. None of us. And I don't even know what color they are. Uh, but there are lights behind us. And, uh, you, uh, us, uh, somebody, somebody not us. And, and you're driving, and there are blue lights or red lights or whatever lights they are. And you're driving along, and there's this nanosecond where you're thinking to yourself, can my Civic outrun that dude? Can I outrun him? It's a Civic. I mean, you know, it's a Honda. Uh, and, and you're thinking, can I do a Ricky Bobby? And, and can, I, can I maneuver? And can I, can I get away from the popo? Because that's what we're thinking to ourselves. For, for a, a nanosecond, we're thinking, can I get away? 
By the way, you can't. Uh, I'm your pastor. Don't do that. That's really dumb. Uh, but we think about it. And there are times when we're sort of confronted with our sin and we're like, well, maybe I need to get away. And, and going back to Genesis, the Lord God called the man, where are you? He answered, uh, I heard you in the garden. And so I was afraid and I was naked or naked, as we say in Kentucky, and I hid. And that's what we do. It's like the Geico commercial. That's what you do. We're sinners. Guess what? We hide. That's what we do. And Jesus said, I came to seek and to save you. He said it to Zacchaeus, but he means it, means it for all of us. Now, if you grew up in church, you know the song about Zacchaeus. He was what? He was a, a wee little man. He must have been Irish. Uh, uh, he climbed up in what tree? A sycamore tree. What's really interesting about the sycamore tree, I read this this week, is that they have lots of branches. They're very tightly woven. And it would have been easy for Zacchaeus, what, this is what's interesting. It would have been easy for him to climb into the tree. He wanted to see Jesus. He, he kind of wanted to not be seen by Jesus. He, he had heard about Jesus' reputation. That might be some of you today. You've heard about Jesus. You want to see about him, but you're not sure you want to encounter him. Zacchaeus climbs this tree, and he wants to see about Jesus, but he may not exactly want to be in an encounter with Jesus. And so he hides in this sycamore tree, and Jesus sees him, and he speaks truth in love. Look, nobody would have liked Zacchaeus. In your mind, you probably have a list of people. You're like, Jesus probably wouldn't like these people. Or I don't like these people. You probably have a pecking order of, I don't want to be around these people. If there was a pecking order in Jesus' day, at the top of the list would have been really three groups of people. Um, at the top would have been tax collectors because they were traitors. Uh, you would have lepers because they, they could infect you, so you wouldn't want to be around those. And you had prostitutes. Really interesting Jesus' ministry. He hung out a lot with tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers. I mean, he just, there's a lot in ministry, that Jesus' ministry, where he deals with people that nobody else really wanted to be around. And a lot of times, those people, we just don't want to, we don't want to see them. And Jesus not only sees Zacchaeus, but he calls him into relationship. And, and it's this picture of, um, Jesus wanting to be part of Zacchaeus' life. You know, what was Jesus doing here where he came to know us? He came to show us the way to the Father. I and the Father am one. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's showing us the way. And, and some of us hide. Uh, I told you that little story about Jimmy and he was hiding. Well, many years ago, my daughter Amaris was four. My daughter Mallory was two. I had a, uh, we have another daughter named Janelle. She was just born. We lived in Bergen, back in Bergen, Kentucky, that little town. And Miriam had gone to a conference and left me with the kids. That was really a bad idea. 
um, I'm the pastor, and so uh, one of our young people had been in a car accident and was in critical condition in Lexington, which is about an hour away from where we lived. And so I called my sister. Her name's Billy Ann. That's a great southern name, Billy Ann. And I said, Bill, can you come and watch the girls? I have to go to the hospital and see about this young man who's had a tragic accident. And Billy Ann comes over, and she's keeping the girls. Now, this is kind of pre-cell phone. I don't have any cell phone. I don't really know what's going on. I'm over at the hospital. Miriam's out of town. And Billy Ann loses my oldest daughter, Amaris. She loses her. She can't find her. She's calling for her in the house. She can't find her. So we lived in a little parsonage. Behind the parsonage were cornfields, kind of on the back and on the side. The church was to the left, if you're looking at the house. And she just couldn't find her. And she is frantic. She calls the police. I mean, it's a little one-horse town, so not the police from the police. Uh, Barney Fife showed up, uh, and, and then the police force from the other town next came over, and then all the volunteer firefighters who are great, but you know I'm not sure they're trained uh, extensively in search and rescue. They're combing. They are doing their best. They are combing uh, the cornfields. There had been a guy there that day fixing my air conditioner. And my sister was just convinced that that guy had taken my daughter. And she, she's, she's playing all this in her mind. And my little two-year-old Mallory says to her, I think she might be hiding. She's hiding from us. Like, well, I don't think she's hiding from us. Well, she was. Amaris had gotten under the bed. She had pulled all of her stuffed animals around her and fallen asleep. And she was asleep. And one of the police officers or firefighters, I can't remember which one, started to pull the things away, and there she was. And we tell that story and we kind of giggle. You know who doesn't giggle? My sister. She never giggles at that story. Because it broke her heart to think she had lost somebody she loves. Now think about that with Jesus. He comes to seek and to save those who are lost. And we probably all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. We all know that. We probably have it memorized. But the next verse is equally important. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. So many of us are afraid that God is waiting to zap us when we make a mistake. God wants the very, very best for us. He's gracious and kind. When I was about 12, 13, 14 years old, my dad bought me a new baseball glove. One of the best gifts I'd ever been given. It was really expensive. And my dad was a truck driver, blue-collar guy, and so didn't make a lot of money. And for him to get me this glove was just a really act of, of love on, on his part. 
I got it in the spring, and so, you know, if you're a baseball player, you have to break your glove in, and so we poured uh, glove oil on it, and if this isn't the right way to do it, this is the way we did it, and don't tell me after the service. Uh, no, the way you do it, listen, I don't care, uh, but you pour it, we poured glove oil on it, and you put a ball in it, and you wrap a, you know, like a belt around it, and so the ball kind of forms to the leather, and, and so uh, we, we spent time, uh, you know, preparing the glove, and then Dad and I were in the backyard, and we'd throw the baseball back and forth, and we would do that for hours and hours and hours and break that glove in. And it was, it was in mid-season form, that glove. It was ready to go. It was spring. It was almost time to sign up for Little League Baseball. I mean, I, I am ready to roll. I was an all-star baseball player when I was nine. Uh, so I was, I was going to kill it with my new glove. And so one day, my friend Mike Wilson and Terry, they, they let me know we were going to go down to the park. This is back in the day where you could ride your bike to the park and your parents didn't have to watch you. Uh, and so we rode down to the park. It was just a, you know, a few blocks away. And we were at the park and we were playing baseball and there was a basketball court nearby. And so um, we got through playing baseball and we played a little basketball. And we, you know, I was, I mean, I was the Larry Bird of Jackson Park. Uh, and so uh, I was killing it down there and it just really was great. And I drove home. I was full of victory and all that kind of thing. And then I remembered I forgot my glove. I remember where it was. Jackson Park, come in on this road, the basketball court right there. There are some bleachers, or there used to be, it's not there anymore, but there are some bleachers, and I had put my glove on the lowest bleacher. I knew exactly where it was, on the corner. And I got home, and I was having a snack, and then I'm like, oh, I forgot my glove. I got on my bike, I rode my little, I pedaled that thing as fast as I could, as fast as my little legs would take me. I get back to the park, no glove. All right, so now, have you ever had that moment where it's like, oh, I'm gonna, I've got some explaining to do. You know, I, I've got to go home and explain this to my blue-collar dad who paid a lot of money for that glove. I went home much slower than I came. You know, it's like I'm pedaling slow. I'm hoping that the rapture will come. You know, it's like uh, I'm praying for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, come back now. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, he didn't, by the way. And so I get home. Dad gets home from work, and I tell him, Daddy, I'm, I'm sorry I, I lost that glove. He took it great. He said, well, you'll just have to use your old glove. It's like, Okay. The next day, my dad came home with a new glove. Forgiveness and restoration in the form of a leather baseball glove. Because it wasn't just a glove. It was forgiveness. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and what you haven't earned. And in this case, what you've neglected. I certainly hadn't earned it, didn't deserve it, hadn't taken care of the one he gave me in the first place. I think what I love about my dad in that particular story
and there's much to love about him. He gave me that glove. He didn't give me a lecture. Now, he gave me lectures, just not that time. I think he knew my heart was broken. Grace is getting what you don't earn or deserve. Some of us in this room are hiding from God and we just don't have to. You're living in a way you know is not right and you just don't have to. You've neglected a gift that He's given you and you just don't have to. And what you need to hear today, the reason Jesus came was to offer you forgiveness and restoration. Not because you've earned it or deserve it, but because God loves you that much, He wants to give it to you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word in this day and Thank you for sending Jesus to us and for us. We appreciate him and you for sending him. We ask God that you might draw us close to you today. We pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.